Well, we are surrounded uh, by physical death. I think that's something that we are well aware of. The continual news of shootings, war, disease, suicide. It seems like we can't escape the news of physical death. But we all understand that that's how life works. Eventually, every human being is going to die. Some will die of tragedy and natural disaster. Others will die of disease. Others will die just because of the course of life, have, that the course of life has taken its, run its course. But that is the definition and the essence of being finite, that because we're not infinite, our earthly lives are limited. We're all going to die one day. I don't think that's news to anyone. But there is good news. The good news is that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then you will find true life in the face of death. It is through death, and we are not making light of death or tragedy, but it is through death that we experience the resurrection that Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. It is through death that we find true life. Death itself becomes a doorway to true eternal life. If you trust in Christ, the Bible tells us that every single day's Every single day of our lives are numbered. And you just have to think of that. Psalm 139, verse 16 tells us, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. That teaches us that all of our days are predetermined by God. Only God knows how many days we will live. The encouraging thing is that you will not live one day less than what God has determined. And you will not live one day more than what God has determined. Job chapter 14 verse 5, Job 14 verse 5 says, Since his days are determined and the number of his months is with you, and you, God, have appointed his limits that he cannot pass. So it doesn't matter how much you exercise. You should take care of yourself. It doesn't matter what you do to protect yourself. You are not going to live one moment more than what God has determined. But for the believer, that actually is good news. Because that means that, that yes, you can be worried, but you can walk outside these gates and you are, no one is going to take your life. Disease is not going to take your life one moment less than what the Lord has determined. And so if you believe in Jesus Christ, then know that when Jesus says, I'm done with you, your purpose on earth has been achieved, then he's going to take you home. And that's why last week, that's why this week, we push once again that if you don't know Christ, you don't know Christ, you need to receive Christ. Turn to Christ now. Don't wait. Don't wait till the end of the sermon. We got 44 verses. We're going to be here till 1 o'clock, just letting you know. Make sure you pick up your kids at 12. But receive Jesus now. If you need to do that now, you just grab the person next to you and say, hey, are you a believer? Can you lead me to Christ? Do that now. You don't need to hear what I have to say. You need to hear what the Holy Spirit wants to say to you. Because life, life is going to end one day for you, and it could be today. 
It could be today. There are things in life that you cannot control. But if you have Christ, then you know that your time is done. And you will, you will enter into the eternal resurrection. We will all face death. But the question is, will you find life in the face of death? Or will you find, will you find life in Christ knowing that you will die any day now? The title of today's sermon is Finding Life in the Face of Death. Finding Life in the Face of Death. If you have God's word, meet me now in John chapter 11. John chapter 11, verses 1 to 44. John chapter 11, verses 1 to 44, contains the famous and well-known account of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. In verses 1 to 4 and throughout the narrative, we see our first point, which is the man's death. And applied to all of us, this just tells you that you may not be Lazarus, but all of us are going to die. The humans will face death. So that's the first thing we see is the man's death. The man's death. His sickness is going to lead to death. Okay, the man's death. Let me first read to you verses 1 to 4. It says, Now a certain man was ill. Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the, the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, and get this, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And what we get from these four verses is that for the follower of Jesus Christ, not for those of you who have not received Christ yet, if you have not received Christ, this, not, this does not apply to you. But if you've received Christ, if you've received Christ, then all of our sickness is under God's sovereign timing. If you have not yet received Christ, then there's an invitation for you. Every shooting that you hear in the news is an invitation for you. Every disease that you hear of is an invitation to you. I do not apologize for being straightforward. It is an invitation to you. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then every Sickness is under God's sovereign timing. Notice once again, verse 4. This illness does not lead to death. But what do you mean? Lazarus is going to die. Well, Jesus is speaking on two fronts. Jesus is saying, Lazarus' death is part of my plan. Lazarus is going to die, but it's for his death is an opportunity to display a miracle that Jesus is going to perform, the resurrection of Lazarus. But even spiritually speaking, because Lazarus is going to die again, right? Lazarus, Jesus is going to raise him from the dead. That's no surprise. I mean, if you're telling a story, you can't even set up for a, for a climax because your English Bible translations have ruined it for you. The subheading says raising Lazarus from the dead. Thanks a lot, ESV. <laughs> As a storyteller, you can't even set it up like Harry Potter. Right? You can't even set it up. So we all know that Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Right? But, but Lazarus eventually is going to die again. And so apply to all of us. If you have Christ, you will physically die. And you and I might not experience a physical resurrection like Lazarus, but you will enter into the future resurrection, the eternal resurrection. And it is for the glory of God so that the Son of God might be glorified through it, that, that because Jesus is the firstborn 
of the resurrection, that every single time a believer in Jesus Christ dies and we go into heaven, the reason why we go into heaven points back to the glory of Jesus Christ. Every single time a believer dies of cancer, of murder, of horrendous things, every single time that believer enters into glory, Jesus Christ is glorified because we don't go into judgment. We go into eternity. We live forever and one day receive resurrected bodies. But a little bit of the story. Verse 1 tells us that there was a man named Lazarus from Bethany. Bethany is located outside of Jerusalem, just right outside the city of Jerusalem. And Lazarus had two sisters, Mary and Martha. And yes, this is the famous Mary and Martha. This is the famous Mary uh, who sat at Jesus' feet to listen. This is the famous Martha who loved Jesus, but she was a workaholic and she cared too much about uh, organizing the event and making sure everything is, is coming together. Uh, I probably have more of a Martha's, Martha, Martha heart. You know, I worry. I want to make sure that the organizational, everything is running well. I don't really have the merry heart. Some of you, uh, you don't want to serve, <laughs> but you just want to pray. Hopefully, you know, and, and some people just want to serve. They don't want to worship. That's a problem too. Uh, but we know that the balance is to have a merry heart and a Martha and a Martha's a heart for service, right? To have a combination of both. And so Jesus, this is the, the famous Mary and Martha. And it tells us also that Mary is the very one who's going who's gonna to symbolically anoint Jesus for his death by, uh, by uh, expending an expensive bottle of oil and ointment upon Jesus and using her hair to, to uh, wipe his feet. And you're going to read about that. Uh, in, in coming days, uh, but this is Lazarus. Lazarus was their brother. That's their family. And we're also told that Jesus loved Lazarus and Jesus loved the family. So this was a family that was really close to Jesus. And so this family did what any of us would do. If you're that close to Jesus, you would send a message to Jesus and you would tell him, our brother is dying. Will you please come? Because you love him, so come, and maybe if you come, you can heal him. And once again, everyone faces death, and they turn to Jesus. And you would think that if you're that close to Jesus, that Jesus would immediately drop what he's doing, and that he would get to you. Now, back then, they did not have transportation like us. They didn't have text messaging. They didn't have email. So even the message getting to Jesus would take time. And by this time, Lazarus is going to die. Okay, And Jesus knows this. Jesus needs Lazarus to die. This needs to be a legit death. This cannot be, oh, you know, Lazarus was just pretending to be dead, playing dead. No, Lazarus really had to die. And so, so it takes time to deliver that message. And you think Jesus Christ, he told, he, he knows, right, that if he wanted to, he could call upon his angels. And angels are better than Uber or Lyft. So during that time where there's no cars and there's no technology in terms of transportation, Jesus could have called upon his angels and immediately gotten to Lazarus and to heal him. Or Jesus could have healed remotely like he's, he's done before. But he did not. In fact, he allows Lazarus to die. And that's where we see point number two is the Messiah's delay. So first we saw the man's death. Second, we see the Messiah's delay. 
and we see this in verses 5 to 16, that the Messiah had a purpose for delaying. The Messiah's delay. Notice, starting in verse 5, that the Messiah has a plan. That it says, Now Jesus loved Martha her sister, and her sister Lazarus. And so Jesus, if you love them, why don't you go quickly? Jesus, if you love them, why don't you just remotely work and heal them? But Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus, so you're going to let Lazarus die? Yeah, it's the Messiah's delay. See, that's what I mean. All of our sickness is part of God's plan, even though we can't see it. When a Christian is sick, your sickness is on a divine timeline. We might not be able to see it, but this is not only the Messiah's delay, this is a sovereign delay. All right, so, so you see it now. Jesus loved the family in verse 6. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. So what? Because you loved them, you stayed longer and did not run to them? Verse 7, then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. And now what John does is he adds a little bit of a tension. There's a surprising twist that Jesus, because he loves them, he delays and allows Lazarus to die. Uh, and then secondly, he wanted to go back to Judea, which is dangerous for him. Uh, we already seen in the previous verse that if he goes into Jerusalem, that the Jews are plotting to kill Jesus. That they're going to kill Jesus. And Judea is the region. So it's, it's like not going into Los Angeles proper, but going to Alhambra. Now, if you're not from L.A., Los Angeles is considered, I mean, Alhambra is considered Los Angeles, right? It's like, I'm going to L.A. You're not going to say, I'm going to go to this little suburb outside. Or I'm going to go to uh, Westchester. Uh, that's part of Los Angeles. Hello? You know, if you're, if you're not from L.A., Inglewood is part of L.A. So, in that sense, Jesus is going to the outskirts of Jerusalem where it's dangerous for him. It's close to the operation of the temple. And so that's a little bit of a twist. Why would Jesus go into danger? Now, we see in verses 8 to 10, this continues that Jesus has a plan. It says, Jesus, the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were, ju were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Are you going to go near Jerusalem? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in a day? Yeah, Jesus, there's 12 hours. If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble. Because he sees the light of this world. Well, we already know that Jesus is the light of the world. So Jesus, why are you being so cryptic? But if anyone walks... In the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Now, Jesus has already explained this earlier, that there's some symbolism going on here. That literally, he's not talking about daylight versus night, nighttime, uh, but it made sense to them. He's basically saying as long as he, the light of the world, is around, he's on a mission. He's on a mission. And he, in other words, he's saying, I know they want to kill me, but they can't kill me. Because I am on God's timeline. You see the point. That you will not die until your, your mission is done. Until Jesus is done with you. That Jesus will not die one moment earlier than God is determined. And he will, not, he will not live one moment later 
than what God has determined. And the same application for us. So, so basically, as long as Jesus is here, it's light, it's day. But we've seen in previous verses that when Jesus dies, it is night. So night represents after they crucify him. Then it's night. So that's what Jesus is saying. He says, yeah, don't be afraid, disciples. Lazarus' death is part of my mission. I need to go into Judea, and they will not kill me. Because when the time comes, I will give myself over. Right? And then it will be night. And that's the point Jesus is making. The narrative continues in verses 11 to 16. Notice it says, after saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. Now, that's kind of a, a play on words because Lazarus is going to die, but for a believer, death is merely sleep because you enter into resurrection. And so our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. I go to awaken him. Uh, my translation says our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep in church. <laughs> Just kidding. But our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken his death and they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep, right? Because they're, they're, they're taking him literally. And Jesus is saying, don't always take me literal. Verse 14, then Jesus told them plainly, look, I, I said he's fallen asleep, but Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Jesus, you love Lazarus. And he died. And you're, you're saying you're glad that you're not there? Because if you were there, you could have saved him. Jesus is trying to help you understand the whole of John, which you and I, we have the insight that Jesus is in control. So Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there. Who's the for your sake? It's for his disciples. And so what that means is Jesus saying, disciples, I want, you to, I want to teach you a lesson. Lazarus dying is a lesson for you. It's an illustration and you're going to see me perform a miracle. And I, I want you to see that's why I am the Son of God. You need to trust me. And it doesn't say it here, but what the disciples should, ha should have recognized is this. Lazarus dies of physical illness, and Jesus is going to raise him from the dead. Soon after, Jesus would be crucified, and Jesus would be risen from the dead. But in the moment of crisis... In the moment of crisis, Jesus' disciples, they forget that Christ is. He is the resurrection and the life. They forget momentarily. But that's what they need to remember, that in the moment of crisis, when Christ dies, that he will rise again. And so that's what it means. For your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. Believe what? That he's the Son of God. So let us go to him. So Thomas... Thomas, the original maker of English muffins, no. Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go so that we may die, to, die with him. So something about Thomas. I really love Thomas. Uh, Thomas gets a bad rep because Thomas has this reputation of doubting Thomas, right? He's, he's the doubting Thomas. And because after Jesus uh, resurrected and people are saying, hey, Jesus resurrected, we saw him. He, he's like, prove it to me. I need to see it. I need to see the holes in his hands. And of course, Jesus reveals himself to Thomas. Well, that's Thomas's reputation. But something about Thomas is that he's also loyal. He's also honest. He's a little critical. He's a little bit pessimistic, right? But, but that's a lot of you. 
<laughs> right? That's, that's, a, that's a lot of us who are people who are more worried and more real. I'm just realistic, right? That's Thomas. He needs to see the evidence. But the good thing about Thomas is look at his loyalty. Yes, he's going to stumble with the other disciples. Once Jesus dies, he's going to get afraid and he's going to run and hide. But, but what he's essentially saying is he's telling his disciples and he's not really having faith in the positive teaching, right? So when Jesus says, hey, they're not going to kill me. It's not my time yet. That's not what Thomas is listening to. Instead, Thomas is now rallying his fellow disciples and says, if we go back into Judea, we're going to die. Let's die with Jesus. That's what he's saying. It's loyalty. Even though he's a little bit lacking in terms of optimism, he, he does have faith in terms of loyalty to Jesus. And so Thomas says, let's go also. Let's go with Jesus. Yeah, we're going to die. Uh, and when it says that we may die with him, he's not talking about dying with Lazarus. He's talking about Jesus is going to get killed. Let's go with Jesus. That's what that's saying. Right? Just a little side note. There's loyalty in Thomas. But this leads us to our third point, is that even though his disciples don't fully understand, we see a declaration of faith. Right? And so, so thirdly, we see the Messiah's declaration. So first, we see the man's death. Second, we see, we see the Messiah's delay. It's a sovereign delay. It was a sovereign death. It was a sovereign delay. And here we see a sovereign uh, declaration, or the Messiah's declaration. And so what we, what we take away from verses 17 to 32 is for the Christ follower, for the genuine Christian, death is just a doorway to resurrection. For the Christ follower, death is just a doorway to resurrection. And so we see this in verses 17 to 32. First, let's look starting in verse 17. It says, Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been dead, been in the tomb for four days. So that's long, right? So I mentioned that it took a day for the message to get to Jesus. Hey, our brother's dying. Will you come? Jesus delayed two days. That's three days. And then Jesus finally goes and travels. It takes a day to travel. Uh, to Judea. So it's four days. And that means the Lazarus died probably before the message even got to Jesus. So Lazarus is long dead. And in verse 18, it tells you Bethany was near Jerusalem about two miles off. So two miles, that's not very far, right? Two miles is between us and really good boba. That's not too far, Right? So, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brothers. So this is pretty much Jewish tradition that it's confirmed Lazarus is dead. They're coming to comfort the sisters. And verse 20, it says, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. And Mary remained seated in the house. And, and look at what Martha says. I want you to see the faith. Okay, I want you to see the faith. She doesn't fully understand the sovereignty of God, but she has faith. Which, again, you don't have to fully understand how the sovereignty of God works in its intricacy. But you, but you have to have faith in who Jesus is. And Martha said to him, Jesus, Lord, she calls him Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have not have died. So at least in Martha, there's a belief that Jesus, you heal people. And if your presence was with us, for certain, our brother, 110%, he would be alive. What did she believe in? She believed in Jesus' identity as sent from God. 
She, she, whatever she understood, she was onto it. He's the Messiah. She believed in Jesus' presence, that if Jesus was fully there, that, that, that uh, her brother would be alive. Third, she believed in the goodness of Jesus Christ. That Jesus could have just been there but not healed. But she knew that if Jesus was there and if Jesus saw someone dying, that in his power he would heal. And if he didn't heal, this is where you and I got to get on board. If he doesn't heal, he's still good because he has something better for us that we can't comprehend in our finite minds. That if God doesn't heal, he's good. If God takes life, he's still good. We just can't comprehend it. Martha understood this. Now, you, you look at verse 22 now. It says, But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Look at her faith. And, and even now I know. Lord, if you were here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, whatever you ask your father, God will give you. So, so she, it, do you think she believes in, in resurrection? I was, I was just studying all the commentaries. I try to find it. Maybe the commentaries I read are not reformed enough. I don't know what Martha was saying. Nobody knows. But could she be a prototypical Christian where she's actually saying, but even now, if you ask your father to raise Lazarus, that, I w- that, you would, that it would happen? Could it be that even before his death and resurrection, that here's a prototypical believer who actually believes that Jesus would raise people from the dead? What does she mean? But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. In verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said, look at her faith. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Martha saying, I believe in a biblical eschatology. I understand your promises to Israel, and I understand even before your death and resurrection, and even before New Testament eschatology, I believe that you have taught in the Old Testament that people who believe in Yahweh, who accurately trust in the promises of God, will, will rise again. I believe in the eschatology, Martha says. I believe in that, but I'm wondering about my brother now. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die physically, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. What do you mean my brother just died and he believes in you? What do you, what do you mean? I mean, we're going to die physically. This is where Jesus is mixing the physical with the spiritual. So he's saying, if you read it again, verse 25... It's on the screen. I am the resurrection and life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies physically, he shall live forever spiritually. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die spiritually. Do you believe this? And and look at her confession. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. How can we... I'm going to control myself because I just want to end this. we got 44 verses. Let's just preach the gospel. Let's just get some of you to come up here and receive Christ. Again. <laughs> but i got to finish. 
everyone who lives this says, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. I believe that you're the one that the, let me just add the HIV, Hanley International Version, right? What she's saying is that when she says you are the one who's coming into the world, I believe that you are the one that everything in the Old Testament prophesied towards. I believe that you are the heir of Abraham. I believe that you are the greater son of David. I believe that you are the one that the prophets talked about. I believe that you are the son of God, the Messiah. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. Yes, I believe in the resurrection and the life. Yes, I believe in the future resurrection and life. And yes, I believe that you can do anything. With my brother, in verse 25, Jesus declares, and we read it, but he declares his fifth I am statement. He says, I am God. I am the resurrection and the life. It's meant to convey that Jesus is God. One New Testament scholar, he explains that Jesus is bringing the future into the present. That's what he means. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the true life. I give you that now. You can experience the spiritual resurrection in your heart now. And when you die, the physical reality will come. And then in, verses, start in verse 28, we see that when she had said this, so she made a confession. She went and called her sister, Mary, saying in private, Hey, Mary, the teacher's here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in a place where Martha had met him. So Martha had run out to meet Jesus. And when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to go to the tomb to weep there. She was going to go to Rose Hills of Bethany and weep there. And verse 32, now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, notice she says the same thing as her sister. She says the same thing as her sister. Their personalities are different. One's a workaholic. One's a spiritual mystic. No, I'm just kidding. Um, One's into spiritual formation. One's into service and organizational leadership. Uh, but look at their confessions the same. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have not have died. So now the second sister comes, and she has faith. And she says, Lord, if you've been here, my brother would not have died. Notice her sorrow and her faith. She didn't understand once again. She could not comprehend the sovereign plan of God. But she declares the same faith in, in the person and the goodness of Jesus Christ. And again, if Jesus is present in our lives, we have to believe that everything is according to God's plan. And what I want you to see next is the Messiah's love. The Messiah's love. I wanted to cont continue the, the MD, the MD, the MD, because I, I, I'm not an MD. I never uh, reached that dream of becoming a doctor. So today it was going to be the, the man's death, the Messiah's delay, the Messiah's declaration. I was going to say the Messiah's devotion. <laughs> but that, the word devotion does not convey love. And, and so... So the fourth one is the Messiah's devotion. And the fifth one was going to be the Messiah's doxology, but it's not going to be, okay? So verse 33, verse 33, the Messiah's love, the Messiah's love. I want you to see the Messiah's love. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Stop there for a second. Jesus, why are you troubled? Why are you, why are you deeply moved? You know everything. Like you straight said, 
that he's gonna, his death is not permanent, that you're, gonna, you're about to raise him from the dead. You know, if, for me, if I knew everything, if God gave me the plan, and if I knew, like, someone's going to be risen from the dead, I'd probably be less emotionally attached, right? I'd be like, well, I kind of know what's happening. There's no element of surprise. In fact, Jesus himself is the one who's in control. But I want you to see the sovereignty of God. This is how God is. God is completely sovereign. He knows when you're going to die. He knows when you're going to get sick. He knows your struggles. But yet, when he knows that you're hurting, he cares. He, there's empathy. The, the sovereignty of God and the emotional love of God, they are not two separate things. You can be at one time in complete control and sovereign, but yet still love your people and shepherd them in your pain. The one who all things were created through him and predestined all things is the same good shepherd who shepherds his sheep when they're hurting. So verse 33, let me read it again. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. He was troubled with them because he saw that they were sad and broken. And verse 34, he said, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come see. And, and notice in verse 35, only two words, Jesus wept. It, you know, this is one of my favorite verses because it's the only verse I can memorize. No, I'm just kidding. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. And so verse 36, it says, So the Jews said, see how he loved him. So the Jews are looking, and they're, they're looking at this sovereign, amazing Savior, and, and they could tell, they're like, look at how much he loved his people. Jesus, if you loved him, why'd you let him die? So, so this is the combination of Jesus loves his people, yet he allows people to die because he's going to raise them from the dead. And verse 37, and some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also kept this man from dying? So when Jesus finally arrives, he empathizes with the sisters, deep empathy. He walks with them. He cries, and he performs a miracle. He goes to Lazarus' tomb, and fifth, we see the Messiah's glory. The Messiah's glory. So we've seen the Messiah's love, and now we see the Messiah's glory. And we see this in verses 38 to 44. And notice that it says again, again. I, this is just, this is our Savior, beloved. This is Jesus. Then Jesus deeply moved again. Come to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. So Jesus comes with the Febreze, but, I mean, it's, it, it doesn't matter. So, 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 she's, so Martha, this is Martha, right, the organizational expert, the woman who plans everything, the master detailer. She's like, Jesus, by the way, when you open that, it's going to stink. Just a heads up. I, I love Martha. I love Martha because I could relate to her. But I need more of a merry heart. And um, so Jesus, so, Jesus, so this, this, this is important because that means he's really dead. Because if, if there's no odor, so if there's no decomposition of the body, then he's not really dead. Right? So he's really dead. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? So that's what I mean, the Messiah's glory. Now you're going to see the glory of the resurrection. And so verse 41, 
in verse 41, here's the event itself. So they took away the stone. Jesus lifted up his eyes and he said, and notice his prayer. And in his prayer, he reminds us all of the lesson for his disciples. He says, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know, I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. So again, his goal is that the people around him believe, would believe that Jesus is the one sent from God, the Messiah. Verse 43, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with cloth like a mummy. Jesus said to, him, said to them, unbind him, let him go. Now, Lazarus comes out, he's alive, but here's the funny thing. Lazarus is not the firstborn of the resurrection. Why? Because Lazarus would die again. I, I would hate to be Lazarus. It's like he dies, and, you know, if, if he's a believer, it seems like this is a good guy, that Jesus loved him. Did he go to heaven temporarily? Did he get to taste the glories of seeing the Father? I don't know. It's just like, let the guy die. And then Jesus comes, come out. And so Lazarus knows. He's like, oh, no. I'm going to have to die again. And Lazarus dies again. Lazarus dies. I mean, some of you, you, you know, for, for those of you like, who have elderly parents, where your, your elderly parents are telling you, let me go. This hospital thing, I'm, all these plugs in me, I don't want it anymore. But anyway, Lazarus, he has to die again. Jesus is, is the only one that he rises once and forever, never dies again in terms of physical death. So in that sense, Lazarus' resurrection was a temporary resurrection, but, but it was meant to be that type of symbol because the story of Lazarus is a foreshadow of things to come, that Jesus himself would go to Jerusalem and die. He must die, and it's part of God's plan. Jesus would be crucified, but three days later, he would rise from the grave, and Jesus himself would come out of the tomb, and the tomb would be empty, just like the empty tomb here. And the resurrection of Lazarus is the final sign to show that Jesus is the Messiah. I want to go back to something before we go to the big idea in the gospel, which is I want you to see twice that Jesus is deeply moved again, deeply moved, deeply moved. And I want to once again go on this point of Jesus is completely sovereign over the timeline of our lives, over when we will be sick, when we will die, or whether we'll be physically harmed. Anything that is horrendous to this world, it's horrible, yet he has this love in his empathy. How could someone who's so sovereign, so in control, who sees all things, be that deeply and emotionally impacted? I want you to understand the heart of our Savior. He could have done it any other way. You know, when Jesus goes to the cross, he bore greater shame than we will ever bear. So as, as shameful as you would ever feel, as guilty as you and I would ever feel, Jesus bore it all. Uh, he didn't have to do it that way. But when he went to the cross, he bore all of the shame, all of the guilt, all of the ridicule for you and me. He emotionally took on the wrath of God. He, he took on the punishment 
spiritually. And then physically, oh Lord, you did not have, have to have nails driven through you. Even those of us who suffer, suffer consequences, uh, most of us don't suffer what Jesus suffered. He didn't have to do that, but he did. And so whatever it is, Jesus wants to bear our greatest pain. So if there's ever an, a moment where we wonder whether or not the Son of God understands us in our pain, here it is. That he's completely sovereign. He knows what he's going to do. He's even going to heal this guy and raise him from the dead. And, and he's going to give Lazarus a spiritual resurrection eventually. But yet he still moved. And this speaks of the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. It points towards the cross. That on the cross, Jesus Christ took our place on the cross. He died in our place for our sin. So that you and I would not have to pay the penalty for our sin. And that is the gospel. The big idea of this morning's message is that all will face death on God's sovereign timeline. All will face death, but those who trust in Christ will find life through his resurrection. All will face death, but those who trust in Christ will find life through his resurrection. And I will end once again with this. Anyone in here, I don't have to say much. There's shootings almost every single week. Our hearts do not grow callous. But this life does not promise us anything. If you do not know Jesus Christ, or if you've just been playing a game with Jesus Christ, if you've just been going through the motions of coming to church, but you don't really believe, please, this morning, turn your heart and repent. Turn your heart to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Jesus died for your sins. He rose again. Turn to him now. Don't leave here without turning to him. Some of you need to rededicate your life to Christ. It could be that you were never saved to begin with. It could have been just a religion thing. It could have been just going through the emotions. It could have been Sunday Christianity. If you, if you have been playing a game, if your Christianity is not real, rededicate your life to Christ. Some of you, you are saved, but you need to take your Christian life seriously, and it matters that you have all types of plans for your own life in this world, but might I remind you again that you can have the best plans, the best savings, the best endeavors, and you go out these four walls and something happens to you that you cannot control. Let it not be that the words came out from this pulpit, that you exit these four doors and did not take the opportunity to make sure, make sure that you're right with Jesus Christ because of true genuine faith, not by works. Some of you in here might be like, well, if I go out... If I go out these four walls in the horrible car accident, if I die, it's okay because I've done a lot of good things. I'm a pretty good person. I'm not that bad. But have you truly trusted your heart to Jesus Christ? You know, I'm going to come stronger and stronger every week. And some of you can be like, I don't want to come to this church anymore. That's okay with me. Some of you can be like, I'm sick and tired of pastors preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and telling us to receive Christ. Well, that is the point of John's gospel, that you may believe that Jesus Christ was the sent one, sent to die for your sins and rise again. And from conversations, various conversations that I've had, I know that in our church we've been too nice. I know that some of you are not genuinely saved. And we've been patient and we love you. But in a week like this, you don't know this week there's another shooting in a week like this, in a passage like this, when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, I cannot hold back. Your blood is on this pulpit. If I don't tell you and I die, I go to heaven, Hebrews 13, I will give an account for not being honest with you. Some of you are playing a game. You're playing a game with Jesus Christ. Some of you have been serving all your life, but you're not saved. Read my lips. 
Don't be offended by me. Listen to the invitation. Turn to the Savior. You do not have to be guilt, feel guilty. You do not have to be ashamed. You have to turn to him now. Let me pray. Father, we do not want to play games anymore with you. Lord, as, as much security as we have, we cannot protect our flock from bullets. As much, as much safety and as, as much theology as we teach, we cannot protect young minds from depression or from the ways of this world leading them astray. Lord, we cannot protect our college students and our young adults from going out and getting pills or, or, or getting things that would take their lives. Lord, as much as we want to protect our own children, as much as we want to have life insurance and make plans, Lord, we know the only security that we can have in this world is not physical, it's spiritual. And sometimes, Lord, we don't want to face it. Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would save people, not because of my words, but because of your word. I pray, Lord, that right now that you would draw people to yourself as the resurrection and the life, that they would turn to you and believe, that you would do that work now, even in the response song, that people would come to the altar if they need prayer, that they would come forward if they need prayer, that people would rededicate their lives to you, that they would talk to the people next to them and say, I really need to pray. Help me pray to Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would do that now. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.